of you in Norfolk forsake you. What a Savior, what a Savior. So good to see each of you this morning. If you're visiting with us here at Central Baptist for the first time, we'd like to recognize you. Any first-time visitors? All right. All right, so good to see each of you. Let me um, give you just a couple quick announcements. Um, I have our next to the last Bible reading schedule for the entire Bible. All right, we have, we started in January and the first 40 days of the year, we read through the whole New Testament and then we've continued on and continued on and now we have this week and next week and we will finish up the entire word of God. So if you kept up with that, praise the Lord. If you've gotten behind a little bit, don't get discouraged, jump back in, amen. It's all good in there, get in there and get some of it. And then senior breakfast, this coming Thursday at Eagle Lake Diner at 815 Preacher just mentioned a minute ago, it's hard to believe we're, we're jumping from week to week already again. So get ready for that, 815. If you are 50 and wiser, we want to see you there at Eagle Lake Diner at 815. Please take your hymn book out and turn to hymn number 53. Hymn number 53, please stand and join me in singing, When I Survey the Wondrous Cross. When I survey the come to the welcome to our service this morning. Good to see Derek, Gail, uh, Aiden, John back in there. He's a North Carolinian now. And also Shelby, I haven't seen you in years, Shelby. Good to see you and your son and, and Joshua. Good to, good to have you all with us this morning. Also, Sonny and Cher, uh, their daughter. <laughs> we... <laughs> That's actually Sonny and Gloria, but that's kind of a, is that an inside joke? You didn't know. What were you full of Sunday night? I try not to listen to him because he guides me wrong. He tells me wrong names sometimes. I, I, I try to shut him out. Also, Tabitha's mom and dad, brother Tabitha, and uh, good, good to have y'all back with us today, good to see each, each, each of you, um, I guess that's, I guess that's all the folks visiting, uh, from out of town, out of state, so we're glad to have you with us today, it's always good to see, um, and I don't want to use the word old, old friends, but, uh, friends that we've known for a long time, so good, good to have you with us here today. Pray for those that are sick, a whole bunch of folks that are uh, out sick. Uh, I refer you to your prayer list and uh, use that throughout the week as you go to the Lord in, in prayer and remember these. Also, those are traveling, Gina and Steve and Jack, uh, they're up in New England states. We, Our granddaughter, I'm, I'm sure most of you know that, but she lives and works in Boston now, 
And so uh, for some reason they wanted me to see her. So uh, pray for them, pray for their safety as they travel. All right, let's bow our heads now and look to the Lord in prayer and ask his blessings on the offering and on our, our service here today. Brother Brady, would you lead us? dark place of fear I look for refuge in the tumult of this storm I look for rest I seek for the shadow of your wings Lord the peace you give is best when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me higher to the rock where I know that I can stand. You're my strength and my salvation, my strong tower, and I'm held in the palm of your hand. I'll sing praise. I yield to the stronghold of worry. I will cling to the promises you've made. You are almighty and you change not. And these trials in my life reveal your grace. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me higher to the rock where I know that I can stand. You're my strength and my salvation, my strong tower, and I'm held in the palm of your hand. I'll sing praise to your name and your goodness I'll proclaim even when the waves of fear are all around when I am overwhelmed I'll run to you I'll sing praise unto you 
Open your Bibles to Revelation chapter 22. for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I pray now that you would fill our hearts and help us, Lord, to be able to concentrate entirely on your word this morning. And I pray that you'd help me. I pray that you'd make my voice strong and and give me the energy that I need. Proclaim the promise, they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And I pray that you'd uh, take the word and that's, uh, that, that I give, and I pray the Holy Spirit would give it power and conviction. I pray that we'd uh, have folks saved this morning. I pray that uh, you help Christians be drawn closer to you. So I pray in Jesus' name, amen. In Revelation chapter 22, and I want to begin in verse 11, uh, verse 17, rather. 17 of Revelation 22 and verse 17. And the spirit of the bride say, Come. And let him that heareth say, Come. And let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, it adds anybody out, whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. I testify that uh, unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things that are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. The Bible opens with a promise, the promise of a coming Savior, a coming Deliverer who would rescue people from their sin. That promise came in the third chapter of of the book of Genesis. It's the promise of a savior, one who would come and rescue men by destroying their enemy, Satan himself. And the Bible then begins with the promise of a savior and that's how it ends. In verse 20 of this last chapter says, yea, I come quickly. Now, this is the promise of the second coming of the Lord, whereas Genesis 3 was the promise of his first coming, his birth. Let me read you something that I've I've found that Pastor W.A. Criswell wrote this. said, first, the Savior is to come that he might be crushed, bruised, crucified, and made an offering for sin. He is, he is to come to die as the Redeemer for the souls of men. After God made that promise in Eden, hundreds of years passed, millenniums passed, and the Lord did not come. When finally he did arrive, he came into his own, and his own received him not. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. The thousands of humanity had forgotten the promise, or else they scoffed at its fulfillment. When finally announcement came that he had arrived, the learned scribes pointing out the place where he was to be born, but never took the journey, uh, never took the time to journey the five miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to welcome the promised Savior of the world. But however long he delayed, and however men forgot and scoffed, and however few of a faithful band waited for the consolation of Israel, as old Simeon, yet he came. 
And in keeping with the holy, faithful promise of God, the Lord Jesus came. And it is thus, says Criswell in the text that God speaks and closes his Bible, surely I come quickly. Here a second time, however infidels may scoff, however others may reject, and however the centuries may grow into the millenniums, this is the immutable word and promise of the Lord God, surely I come. So you have at the end of the book of Revelation not so much a promise as a warning. The whole book of Revelation, of course, is the prophecy of the second coming of Jesus Christ. It is uh, what is called the apocalypse, the revealing, the manifestation of Jesus Christ. It's the final statement on the unveiling of the glory of the Son of God when he returns. And every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. And this book, this book of Revelation, the last book in the Bible, which is all about his second come, it ends with a final invitation in the light of that reality. As the revelation reaches its end and the certainty of Christ's return is now clear, the Holy Spirit calls for a response. First of all, in verse 6 through 12, a response for Christians, a response of immediate obedience, immediate worship, immediate proclamation, and immediate service. But secondly, beginning in verse 13 and down to the end, <clears throat> a response from non-Christians. God's final plea is given to those who are still rejecting. Now this final section <clears throat> uh, can be divided this way I've, I've done it <clears throat> into simply two points. The invitation and the incentives to respond. And the invitation comes in verse 17. <clears throat> Look there. <clears throat> Again, in verse 17, and he says, And the Spirit and the Bride say, Come, and let him that hears say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. The Holy Spirit and the Bride, the church, the local church, desire the Lord to come because they want to see the end of sin. Aren't you tired of sin? They want to see the exaltation of righteousness. They want to see the enemy, Satan, destroyed. Sin dealt with. And the eternal glory of God manifest throughout the universe. So the Holy Spirit and the bride, the church, are crying, come. striving, convicting, grieved, and blasphemed Holy Spirit says come. And the struggling, burdened, troubled, sinful, weak church says come. And then the verse shifts in the middle. And others are invited to come or to say come. Anybody who hears the message of the gospel and joins the church and joins the spirit can say come. Lord Jesus. And then comes the call to sinners. <clears throat> Let him who is a thirst, him who is thirsty, come. And let the one that wishes to take of the water of life freely, let him come. So there's the call for sinners to come, to recognize their need, uh, to see the source of help for that need in Jesus Christ, and to take the water of life freely. Salvation comes to those who recognize their desperate, threatening condition in sin, which is here pictured as thirst. Salvation comes to those who understand the provision that God's made in Christ, who sees him as the living water, and who repents and believes 
taking and drinking what's provided for him. So first of all, we look we look then at the invitation, and then secondly, what occupies the surrounding text and the uh, here the incentives to respond. There's the invitation to come, and then the incentives to come. And there are a number of incentives, and I want us to uh, consider what they are. Let's look at what they are. What are those incentives? And so first of all, because of Christ's person, look at verse 13. He said there, I'm the, I'm the Alpha and Omega, first and the last, beginning and the end. Down in verse 16, he says, I'm the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star. What is the significance of that? Is this is not just it's not just anyone who's calling sinners to repentance. It's none other than the Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end, the root and offspring of David, the bright and morning star. And those are all titles for the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the living Lord, the eternal, infinite, transcendent one. He's the source and end of it all. He's the goal and consummation of it all. He's the root of David. <clears throat> that is, he's the source of David. That is to say, he is deity. He is God. <clears throat> he is also the offspring of David. That is to say, he's a child of the line of David. That speaks of his humanity. He's the God-man. It's not just anybody who's inviting the sinner to come. It is the majestic, living Lord of heaven. The preacher is not the inviter. He is. He's the one who sent the invitation. Uh, we just deliver it. To turn down the invitation is to spurn the supreme being of this universe. Such an affront to him comes with a terrible, terrible cost. And then second, the incentive to come is because, not only because of Christ's person, but secondly, because of heaven's inclusivity. That's a word I just learned. I thought I'd use it. Another compelling reason to come to Christ. Another compelling reason to believe in the one who died and rose again. Uh, a reason to repent of your sin and embrace him as Savior and Lord. And that is because of what verse 14 and 15 says. Look at it. Blessed are they that do, that do his commandment, that they may have right to the tree of life. And may you enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs and sorcerers and whoremongers and murderers and idolaters and whosoever liveth or loveth and maketh a lie. Now what that tells us about is the exclusivity of heaven. It's not a place for everyone. Everyone doesn't go there. There are some people in verse 14 who are inside participating in the tree of life. There are others who are outside, shut out, according to verse 15. Without here means, it doesn't mean just right outside, right? Without here means that they're just not there. They're without, they're just not there. Look again at verse 14, blessed are they who wash their robes. This refers to the idea of removing sin by purging, by cleansing. So, so uh, forgiveness that's pictured in this cleansing, this washing, forgiveness, that's a requirement for anyone who would enter into heaven. That's why the gospel promise includes forgiveness. 
Listen to this in the words of Paul in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. In Christ we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins. If our sins are not washed away, cleansed away, absolutely, totally forgiven, we cannot enter into heaven. And the world is full of people who assume they're going to heaven apart from being forgiven. The idea of because I'm good enough or because I uh, do this or that and no, no thought about forgiveness. I've often said I think one of the sweetest words in the English language is the word forgiven. This is a compelling exclusivity. The only way to heaven is to have your sins forgiven by faith in Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection. That's the only way. Jesus said, I am the way. That word, the there, that means that's, this is the way. There is no other. I am the way, the truth. The life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Now, where are those people who are on the outside? Verse 15 of chapter 20, 21, uh, 20 tells you if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, here's where he was. He was thrown into the lake of fire. Heaven is exclusively to those who are forgiven. And it's abundantly clear from verse 15 of chapter 22 that if there's any, any sin to be held against your account, you're going to end up in the lake of fire. Verse 15 gives you a list of sins, a, a very descriptive sin. Now, this is not exhaustive. We have other places in the Bible where it mentions other sins. This is just a a representative case here. See, you, you, somebody might read this and say, well, I, I'm, I'm not a dog, I'm not a sorcerer, I'm not an immoral person or a murderer, idolater, or one who loves and practices lying, so I'm not inclusive. That's not the idea. This is not an exhaustive list here, but these are representative. Outside are immoral persons, those who commit immoral sexual acts. Outside are murderers. Outside are idolaters, those who worship other than the true God. Sometimes some of our people get nervous because I, I say that the religion of Islam is from the devil. It is a devil-inspired religion. Any, any other religion or any other belief outside of Christianity is of the devil. That is a false god. Now, I may get shot for saying that, but it's got to be said. And um, anybody that wants to shoot me, you're going to have to come through about 50 other guns before you get to me. But outside, now the point I want to make out of verse 14 and 15 is simply this. Hear the invitation. You know, he that heareth, you've, you've, you've read that word several times in the book of Revelation. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. You know, we, we often talk about, you know, people hear what they want to hear. In a, in a crowd this size this morning, uh, in, in this message, some of you will hear one thing, some of you hear something else because you've come in with preconceived ideas. And that, that's just human. That's the way we are. But here the Bible is saying, you, you better pay attention. You, you better hear. You better hear the message. You better not only hear it, but 
receive it and respond to it. <clears throat> that's what that's what's mentioned uh, meant here about hearing, hearing the invitation. Heaven is exclusively for people whose sins have been cleansed. It isn't that none of us have ever done those things. It is that we have been forgiven. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, there's a whole list of things that Paul writes that those Christians there in Corinth, that they had been guilty of. But he says that such were some of you. You were like that, but now you have been cleansed. You have been forgiven of your sins. Who doesn't want to be forgiven? The one who cherishes your sin, that's who doesn't want to be forgiven. If you don't come to the foot of the cross, embrace Jesus Christ, you will die in your sin. Jesus said in John 7, and where I go, you cannot come. You will not go to heaven. You are burned forever in the lake of fire. And so the invitation is, let him who's thirsty come, let him take of the water of life freely. That is, there's no charge. Just come and drink. Receive eternal life. Receive forgiveness. And you should be compelled to do that, but first of all, because of the one who asked you, and also because of the exclusivity of heaven. You'd be left out if you're not forgiven. And you'll not be forgiven unless you come to Christ, who alone grants forgiveness. And then third, come because of the truthfulness of Scripture. It's so important that the Bible ends with, with an affirmation of its truthfulness. That's found here in verses 18 and 19. And look at it. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book, and if any man shall take away from the words of this, of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things that are written in this book. Now these are words to be heeded. This is not the first affirmation of scripture in this chapter. You go back to verse 6. The angel is speaking to John. These words are faithful and true. Then in verse 10, he said to me, uh, don't seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is near. These words are true. They must be proclaimed. They must not be altered. Don't add to them. Don't take away from them. They're true. Proclaim them. Preach them. Sinners need to respond because of the truthfulness of these words. This is the word of the living, eternal God, and you better respond to it. If you, if endeavoring to avoid the clear, uh, clear revelation of God, you add something, it should be added to the plagues that are written in it. If in endeavoring to avoid what he said, you take away from it, you'll have no part in the tree of life. Now, all through Revelation, you have, you, you have faith, we face the doom of those who reject Christ. The world has been restored, as we see uh, through this panorama of the future. People have been plagued, they've been tortured, starved, shaken, demonized, scared, maimed killed, damned, and consigned to the lake of fire. That's exactly what will happen. That's exactly what is happening now as people are dying without Christ and going to hell. Now remember this book of Revelation when it was written immediately 
it was sent to, it was given to the seven churches. We find that in the second chapter. It would have been very unpopular, for example, with Jezebel and her followers who at Thyatira. It would have been very unpopular with the propagators of the false religion of the Nicolaitans. It would have been very unpopular with those at Thyatira who had embraced the deep things of Satan. It would have been very unpopular with the Jewish slanderers mentioned in chapter 3, verse 9. And it would have been very unpopular with many others. And so, so they would have immediately began to assault it, and they did. And they're still assaulting it, aren't they? Do you remember what, what the first thing that Satan said to Eve in the Garden of Eden? Yea, hath God said? There's always been an attack on the Word of God. Always. It's still today. And even more so today than ever before. Because not only are people denying the Word of God, they are altering the Word of God. And Jesus said here, you're not to alter it in any way. You're not to add to it. You're not to take away from it. Truthfulness of the scripture. You see, God's word is absolute, true, it's faithful, permanent, complete, not to be altered, not to be changed, not to be added to, not to be taken away from. And true believers understand that. Now, the fact this warning is here indicates several things. First of all, it indicates that men would be prone to tamper with the Scripture and probably prone to tamper with Revelation more than, than any other, and that has been true. Entire denominations have rejected the book of Revelation because it said it's not for us and we can't understand it. And yet in the very first words of the book of Revelation, we're told that, that we are to read it there's a special blessing uh, upon reading it and studying and obeying it. There's a special blessing. Why would God pronounce a special blessing if, if, uh, if he doesn't want you to read it? And then second, it indicates that men would deny it validity because it's so specific prophetically talking about the book of Revelation here and that certainly has been true also but it also indicates to me that the Holy Spirit wants to make a final sweeping statement about what you do with scripture altogether and the bottom line is God has written it so you better not erase it and you don't expand it I'd like to echo the words of the of another preacher of bygone days. He said, according to the grace and light given me, I have spoken. If I err, God forgive me. If I am right, God bless my feeble testimony. In either case, God's speed is everlasting truth. The word is truth. Revelation in all of scripture is truth. True Christians believe it and keep it and love it and obey it. The fact that it's true is incentive enough that the sinner better come because what it says is going to happen is in fact going to happen. And you'll have no part in the tree of life, which is a picture of eternal life. You'll have no entrance into the gates of the eternal city. So the invitation and the incentives Respect for the person, Jesus, who gives you the invitation, the exclusivity of heaven, and the truth of the word of God. And then finally, one last point. Sinners should come because of the certainty of Christ's return. The certainty of Christ's return. One final time in verse 20. He which testifies these things saith, Surely 
I come quickly. Amen. Even so come, Lord Jesus. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Would you stand please with your heads bowed? Isn't it, isn't it uh, amazing? Doesn't doesn't this touch your heart to realize all through the Bible, all through the Bible, God said, "Come, come, come unto me." And then in the very last part of the book very last chapter and the last words is once again giving the invitation come and be saved God loves you so much that he does not want you to misunderstand doesn't want you to be distracted that he gives a final invitation come to him alone emphasize the severity of the punishment that you will receive if you reject Christ as your personal Savior. Not to be cast into a lake of fire. Have you ever thought about that? Cast into a burning, literal lake of fire to be tormented forever million years from now, 10 billion years from now, whatever number is the greatest zillion, trillion, trillions of years from now, echoing from the walls of the lake of fire forever, forever, forever. It scares me to even think about the word. How could you reject the incentive that God has given if you receive Christ and be saved? You have to say no. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless the invitation. Speak to every heart. I pray for every person here this morning who has never been saved. They do not know that if they were to die today, they'd go to heaven. I pray that they'll come. And let us show them from your word how they can be saved, how they can know that. Leave, leave here with the assurance that if they, or when they die, that they will go to heaven. They will be inside and not left outside. And I pray for Christians today. If they're Christians that need to come rededicate their life, may they come. Lord, just have have your way in every life, every person here today. For I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We sing a verse of invitation song. We invite you to come. God spoke to your heart. Would you come?
Would you bow your heads again, please? We'll not sing anymore while the musicians continue to play. How about you this morning? Some are here at the altar. While we wait for them, God's given you another opportunity, another chance. Would you come? Glad you're here this morning. If you're visiting with us, and relatives and so forth, people from somebody from out of town, we're glad to have you with us, as well as everybody that's here this morning. Want to uh, let you know that we appreciate each of you being here. I would like to meet with the deacons at five o'clock this afternoon in my office, and then our teacher worker meeting at five forty. Uh, be sure to be here at that time. Our service will start tonight at six o'clock. Glad you come and join us at that time. Let's bow our heads now and take a word of prayer. Brother Hyatt, way back there in the back, Brother Hyatt, would you just make this prayer?